Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 506, Football Fetish. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie, the uh, classic underestimation of Liverpool. How do you feel about that, Eddie? Once oh, again, I you didn't know if the question again, was coming. That's the question is, once again, you've classically underestimated their I, ability to come and screw you in any any sort of gambling scenario. No, I don't mean I don't think I really underestimated them. I mean I consistently said it would be a very Liverpool-esque thing to do to yes. play City and get a result. And I don't think now and it just shows the the overreactions you have within sports, right? Because a f- few days slash weeks ago, maybe it was the end of Jurgen Klopp. They win on they have the impressive second half performance against a pretty mediocre Rangers side and then beat City in a match that they could have easily lost. Like they played well mm-hmm. in that match and I was surprised particularly defensively. For bits, they played well. Yeah, defensively they were pretty solid overall, but they they definitely could have lost. I think a draw would have been the fair result overall on the balance of play, but now it's well Liverpool are back. Mo Salah's back. Like it's, you know, it took, it's 135 minutes of probably decent performances and all of a sudden, you know, all right, everything is, is right back in the world of, of Liverpool. Did you see the stat uh, that after that match, Van Dyke is now still undefeated in 69 matches at Anfield? It's pretty impressive. Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's surprising, but impressive. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty telling stat. Yeah, I mean, he's been terrible this season, right? So he doesn't have much to do with the fact that he's been able to maintain that so far this season, at least. But, you know. So my my question to you is, is that a bigger result for Liverpool or for Arsenal? I think for Liverpool. I, I mean, I, ultimately, I think it's a bad result for Arsenal, right? Like, we, it's I don't think they're going to win the league. So I think if you're if you are well, Arsenal, still in first, <laughs> they are, but they've got a long, long ways to go, right? And I think maybe they'll prove me wrong. Their teams, you know, it wouldn't be the first team to manage to do this, but I would be very surprised if they won the league. And realistically, I doubt very many Arsenal supporters at this stage, you know, they're really buying into the hype. But I, I doubt so. I doubt many of them would agree with this sentiment. But realistically, they it is in their interest for City to beat all of their competition for the top four top three top two and so Liverpool picking up three points against City is a bigger you know it, it's just means that there's a little bit more pressure on City to, on, on Arsenal to keep picking up those big results so do you, you think know. Arsenal is very concerned about a team 14 points below them Eddie uh, Liverpool <laughs> have a game in hand too as right as well right so yes yeah, could be 11 points and then, you know, talking double digits, Eddie, double digits, a gap like that can close pretty fast. You know, if Liverpool do refine something resembling the form we've seen from them over the past three or four seasons in the span of six or seven weeks, it can suddenly be Liverpool three or four points behind Arsenal. So I don't think they're looking over their shoulders right now, but 
their goal coming into this season would have been top four. I think that you shouldn't be really moving the goalposts in, at the beginning of October if you're them. And suddenly, like, I can understand internally them saying to themselves, you never know. Like, we shouldn't limit ourselves by sticking to our preseason expectations. We should be judged. You know, we maybe we're better than we thought we were or a little bit more ready than we thought we were. At the same time, they've had a fairly easy run of fixtures so far still. They've yet to be seriously tested over a, you know, a longer period of time. And I think I just, I'd be amazed if they won the league. So let's say coming out of World Cup, which pretty much I guess is almost right at the end of Christmas break, right? Basically. What you mean when, uh, yeah. World Cup ends like end of December. Yeah, so January when they so let's like, let's say start of New Year. Let's let's yeah. just keep it easy. Twenty twenty three. What is your prediction for City, Liverpool, and Arsenal? Where are they going to sit? So turning you mean going into, the into new year. So going into the World Cup break, you're basically asking me. I guess yeah, because they're not playing during the World there's, Cup. There's right? two matches, I think. There's two matches after yeah World Cup before. So, but you're fundamentally return. asking me basically like, well, yes. And that's only a month away. So I don't think much will have changed in that space of time just because there's not that many fixtures to be played between now and then, you know, in terms of something radically changing. So I think the table will probably look somewhat similar. Liverpool will probably gap close the gap a little bit because, you know, I'm maybe this is a slight, at least they might have a bit of confidence back. Uh, yeah. But I don't. Yeah, I think it's not. You're a looking long at enough, like four or five matches. Yeah, it's not a long enough period of time for anything to radically change. And elsewhere in the world of European football, yesterday we had uh, the Ballon d'Or was awarded, which for those unfamiliar, it's kind of the uh, award that gets given to the uh, you know best best player, and the winner was. Karim Benzema, who, I mean, everyone knew he was going to win. There was also a leak of the votes going into the, before the ceremony anyway. So I love when things are leaked. (laughs) You never know with leaks, whether or not they're real leaks or not. Uh, But he's, he was the clear cut favorite to win. And I don't think there's much to be discussed on that. I mean, the only discussion with regards to Benzema is he's done a wonderful job fixing his public image on the back of playing a role in blackmailing one of his teammates. The back of what, Eddie? (laughs) (laughs) On the back of attempting to blackmail one of his teammates with a sex tape or protect his teammate from being blackmailed. Whatever it is he was, he claims to have been doing, playing some, being complicit in the blackmailing of a teammate. Something involving a sex tape. (laughs) Exactly. No, blackmail. The focus is blackmail. The sex tape, right? If it was just a sex tape of Benzema went public and it was just, you know, him and his girlfriend, that's embarrassing, but it's not a scandal. The, the reality is he was tr- tr- he was some way involved in a fellow French international being blackmailed with a sex tape. He claims he was trying to help him not be blackmailed by helping him kind of resolve the issue as easily as possible. It's a, it's a very bizarre story, and depending on how much you like him, you can just kind of see it one way or the other. But he's done a very, very good job of that not being the leading sentence in his biography, which... I think for most people, that would be the case. But there's not a lot to debate. You know, he had a good season, obviously, with Real Madrid winning the league, winning the Champions League. He scored a lot of goals. So you can understand why he was sort of the talisman 
for Real Madrid over the last sort of 12, 18 months. Had some good performances for France also in that time period. So I do get it. However, you do have some complaints coming, notably from some defenders and goalkeepers in the world, including his Real Madrid teammate. So you have a... uh, Courtois came out and said, I see the Ballon d'Or as impossible to win. You win La Liga and you win the Champions League. Your team wins thanks to your saves and you only finish seventh. He's referring to seventh in the voting there. At least they created the trophy for best goalkeeper. So you kind of see this discussion a lot in, in, in a wide range of sports, right? It's like the NFL MVP award that heavily favors quarterbacks. You're probably never going to win the MVP as like a corner. You know, it's kind of that situation. It's an interesting one in football. I mean, if you look back since the year 2000, only one defender has won the Ballon d'Or in that time period, which is Fabio Cannavaro in 2006. He won that in 2006 when Italy won the World Cup that year, and he was the captain of Italy. So you really had a strong case in that scenario for him winning. Now, the award has been dominated by Messi and Ronaldo since 2008. This is only the second time that someone other than them, has won it in the past yeah. 14, 14 seasons. Say, I, th- I think we did a little trivia on that uh, yeah. probably last year. But it is an interesting case to be had. Only one goalkeeper has ever won the Ballon d'Or, and that was Lev Yashin in 1963. So it is basically saying no matter who you are as a goalkeeper, no matter what you do, you're pretty much not going to win it, which, you know, it's... I think it's worth debating because it does. It is just one of those situations sometimes in sports, right, where attacking skills are favored over defensive skills when it comes to judging who the best player is. I think that's probably true in pretty much any sport, right? Hockey, you know, you're the greatest yeah. hockey player of all time is always going to be like a more attacking, attack-minded player. You're never just going to be like, well, that defenseman was no one could get by him. People might acknowledge that, but they probably still wouldn't consider him to be the best ever. And it's just that weird way of like creating something is valued more than stopping something. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think hockey can even get away with it a little bit because you see more defenders that can score than in European football where yes, they do score, but not to the same extent that a defensive hockey player can put in a decent amount of goals if they're like a two way player. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like what you see with NFL with the MVP award, where it's just always going to go to the quarterback because, you know, that's the most highly valued position um, or at least thought of as the most highly valued position. So it's very, very rare that it's going to go to someone else. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here, right? Yeah, no, it's exactly, yeah, exactly the same situation. And it's just, and you can both... I, in some respects, right, the case is more logical in the NFL because it, it always becomes down to the, what the MVP, certainly, you know, it, it, MVP is a term that can raise kind of more questions than it answers in some respects in terms of what does it mean? Does it mean the most valuable player is the best player in the league? Does it mean the player who made the most difference to their individual team? You know, you kind of can really get lost in that debate in terms of how you define who the MVP is. But certainly, at least in football, in the NFL, the argument for it almost always being a quarterback, because they can have the most impact on the overall performance of their team, 
makes some sense. Whereas I think you could make a strong case for the fact that a world-class goalkeeper having an unbelievable season could impact his team's results just as much as a goal scorer and might be even more difficult to replace. And, you know, for anyone who thinks then goes, oh, that's not true. If you just think of some of the best teams in European football at the moment, a lot of them only managed to kind of hit their stride when they were able to solve the problem in goal. So City, for a long time, even once they were good, they kind of lacked consistency. And then you had Ederson come in, and since then, they've been able to become much more solid defensively. You've seen the same thing at Liverpool. And so, you know, you just have these arguments where it's probably an undervalued position when it comes to kind of vote, certainly voting for who's Europe's best player or the world's best player. And maybe on that note, can transition to the NFL itself and a season in which the reigning NFL MVP is off to a somewhat nightmarish start to this year's NFL season. So on the back of a defeat to a loss to the New York Giants in London, the Green Bay Packers then had you spoke you said that Van Dyke had never lost hasn't hasn't lost at home at Anfield. You had a, a head coach quarterback combination in Green Bay who had yet to lose at Lambeau and they got their first home loss against the New York Jets. Which I know, and surprised and, us. And, we but we spoke about it as a one we didn't. In a think game, I said it was like the lock of a lock. You know, no way that Rogers is going to lose back to back to teams that he's probably inferior or superior to. Um, yeah, I was shocked, and you know what, Eddie, I've been saying it for years. The Packers are overrated, and it's finally coming to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mixed week for you, right? Because you've been saying two things for years. The Packers are overrated, and you might finally be able to get it right. But we were – I was patting the you on the back. The Steelers are still two and four. <laughs> Even with a win, they're still two and four. I was patting you on the back about the Steelers. We were basically handing you the trophy for that prediction, and the Steelers says not quite so soon. Yeah. Also a surprising win. I was I, a weekend. It was a weekend of surprises, right? Yeah. I mean – Underdogs fared extremely well over the course of the weekend, but just in general, too, just a very surprising weekend of performances, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there was a I saw one of the betting websites put up. Had you taken for the biggest underdogs, which were the Giants five and a half, the Steelers 10, the Jets seven and a half and the Falcons four, you would have paid uh, 13,000 on a hundred dollar parlay. Yeah, I mean, we can all do that on Mondays, right? But but no, it was certainly a weekend of surprises. And I mean, I, I don't think there's too much to say about the Green Bay performance. It's clear that just everything is not right there. The one thing I would say is, I guess people are assuming that the issue is not Aaron Rodgers. He is 39 years old. He turns 40 in, you know, it's, he's not far off turning 40. In the same way that on the last episode, I think it was, we kind of discussed this idea that the success of quarterbacks early in their careers over recent seasons has led us to believe that every rookie should kind of hit the ground running almost and yeah. be, can play pretty much from the start. Tom Brady might have made us think that every good quarterback can play into their 40s, and we might not be appreciating just how much of an anomaly he really is. 
is it a possibility here that Aaron Rodgers is just done? Well, yeah, I mean, so I'll give my opinion and then I'll throw a somewhat hot take in there as well. If you watch the games this season, he does not look like he did five years ago. I mean, I watched the entire game with the Giants and he was missing passes. He had bad reads. He held onto the ball a little too much at times where normally he could you know, hit a check down. Part of that obviously is going to be the receivers, you know, aren't the best receivers and maybe they're not running the routes properly or they just don't have that connection that he used to have with with other receivers you know, and that's maybe making everything a, a tad bit slow. And then, you know, in the NFL, when you're a quarter second, half a second too slow, it's an incomplete pass or it's a sack or something like that. I do think that a lot of this off the field personal issues is also starting to catch up with him at this After age. what, f- 15 years? Yes. No, <laughs> no. I think, I think at his age, when you look at Tom Brady, and maybe you can even say that about Brady this year because you're seeing Brady this year isn't as good as he was the past three years, and maybe that's partly due because he hasn't been putting in the work that when Tom Brady – let's go just two years ago, Tom Brady was probably in the offseason every day working with his receivers, going through things, whereas I don't think Rodgers has been doing that the past few years, and now he can't just rely on the – I'm Aaron Rodgers. I'll figure it out. I'll get it done on the field because the age is catching up with them. And I mean, you can tell from, you know, what you've read in the interviews and talking to other players that he wasn't out there extra working with new receivers. He knows he has new receivers. He could be out there working, working extra with them, you know, getting them in the off season, coming to places and meeting up. And he definitely wasn't. So maybe some of that off field antics, he has is starting to catch up with his age and he can't do what he used to do with the type of practice he's used to having. I guess the counter to that argument would be that Aaron Rodgers over the course, certainly of the last decade or so has managed to be pretty successful with a pretty ragtag group of receivers. And so unless, and and maybe this is the case, but from all of the impressions that I have, his approach to this season drug use aside, was identical to his approach to every other season. Now, maybe... But that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm saying is maybe he can't do that. Like, you look at Brady, I think Brady figured out he can't survive in the NFL unless he has these radical changes and eating yeah. avocado ice cream. And maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. That's a different I, I, debate. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't Rogers, know if I feel like Rodgers hasn't figured out, like, oh, shit, I'm 39 years old. I'm not what I was when I was 30 and I could just go out there and gunsling it and be in top physical shape. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, that is a hot take. So it's hard to say you're being too extreme because that's the nature <laughs> of a hot take. Right. But yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess the one issue I would say was the Brady thing. I don't think Brady does that because he thinks that's the only way he can be successful. I think Brady does that because Brady just loves doing that. You know, like I think, I think he like he loves taking people to you know whichever remote farm he goes to to throw balls in the off season or going down to Costa Rica and that's what he does. Like he, I know, you know, wherever it is in Montana or or wherever, you know, and like Edelman turns up and they just throw balls. Picture Edelman walking out of the cornfields into a farm, (laughs) a little bit, yeah, (laughs) like a field of dreams. (laughs) 
I think there's a case for Brady now. Like, I, I don't really like the level of speculation that's going on with regards to in regards to Brady and how much his family situation is impacting his play. Like, I find that kind of actually, like, I didn't even like that it's gone kind of viral on all the social media of him yelling at the receivers on the sideline during the loss at the weekend. And then people like doing the fake quote that he's saying, like, I didn't leave Giselle and my kids to fucking lose to the Steelers. I don't, like, I find that kind of difficult. You know, if you see what I mean, like really taking pleasure in someone else's life, being a bit, being, not going through a great period is not yeah. personal. About. Yeah. I don't feel like that should be. I mean, I, th- I, I think if acceptable. a player plays bad on the field, it's fair game. But if a per- if they're having yes. trouble on the field, it's fair game for you to rip into them. If they're having trouble in their personal life, not yes. fair game. <laughs> He's also not the type of character who would be saying something like that or discussing his personal life in general all that much, right? I think it's different. If you open yourself up, like, for example, Patrick Mahomes, as a result of his brother's behavior, can maybe get some criticism for still allowing his brother to do some of the things he's doing. But he's well, kind of inviting. I haven't really him. seen his brother much lately, so maybe Patrick he Mahomes was, has done something. He was on the sidelines before the Bills game. Was he? Yeah. Oh, Not geez. doing TikTok videos, but he was, when Mahomes came over to say hello to his wife, his brother was also there. Just so, can't get rid of this kid. <laughs> you know, but something like that, that element of your personal life, I can get that being brought up because it's like, well, look, you can just control this. Like you're kind of tolerating this. But yeah, when it's a marital issue or something with your kids, it just doesn't seem correct. I guess the issue with Brady might be he's always managed to maintain some kind of safety valve, right? Like, if everything is breaking down, this is the player I can go to. And even when he moved to Tampa Bay, he still had Gronk there, right? And that relationship with Gronk, which is, he probably knew just, uh, I almost, you know, at this stage, he probably has a like near telepathic connection with Gronk. So even if everything else is going wrong, he probably knows, like, I know exactly where Gronk is going to be in this play. And so I can just kind of dump this off to him and get away with it. Probably doesn't have that right now. I think with Brady and the Buccaneers, they've had slow starts to seasons since Brady has moved down there. They weren't unbeatable at the beginning of last year, right? And so I, f- I still presume that they will be fine by the time the playoffs come around. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be good. So who? So then you're more concerned about the Packers? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, it, I, I cannot... I can't imagine Tampa Bay not making the playoffs unless you tell me like Brady has a season in and like, let's remove the possibility of any huge injuries happening to either of these teams. If you just tell me that the kind of status quo in terms of their rosters is the same from now until the end of the season, I would be stunned if Tampa Bay didn't make it. I, I can almost, I cannot envisage it. Whereas I think the Packers are at serious risk of not making the playoffs through a combination of them being kind of bad and the Vikings just doing enough at the moment to win games. They're still not super impressive, the Vikings. So the only reason why I'm not completely shutting the door on the Packers is I can see the wheels coming off on the Vikings and the Packers kind of finding a little bit of a momentum. And suddenly by week 14, 15, they're neck and neck at the top of the NFC North. And then, you know, they are in the playoffs, but I think they're, of all the teams that I came into this season expecting to make the playoffs, I have the biggest concern for the Packers. Okay. 
I want to go back to this Brady personal thing because a, a hot take that's out there, and maybe it's not a hot take, but I feel like it is, is a lot of people are like doing the like public applause for Giselle for standing up and kind of like standing up to Tom Brady and the type of husband and father he is. Is is this a, is this is this a normal take or is this a hot take? Like out of all the years that I've heard of them together, it's always been they have a great relationship, a great family, and now all of a sudden that there's an issue and she's standing up and saying she's having enough of it. It's like, oh well, good because Tom Brady's a terrible husband and this and that. Like there's a lot of like Tom Brady's a bad husband talk. Where did this come from? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, right? Because the, the, the only really the issue here is that he wanted to keep playing football. I mean, this is see, as far as I'm aware, that's the only reason why he's a bad husband. She yeah. clearly wanted him. She, she to put retire. all of her stuff on the sideline, waiting for Did him she? as like another take. That's what I think, right? Did she? I, I don't know. I feel like she, I mean, she makes more money than him, right? She, I, I don't yeah. feel as if her career has suffered, but perhaps it has. But I mean, that's the nature of any relationship, right? I don't think she deserves an award. Like as far as I was concerned, they were kind of a good example of a fairly well functioning couple between yeah. two famous people up until this moment as far as from an outsider's perspective who knows like we very few people i think know any of the real details of exactly what's going on here it's mostly just pure speculation like i guess it's difficult ground it's difficult it's a difficult topic for our, us to discuss because i'm sure there's an element here of people seeing this as a woman standing up for herself and not allowing her family life and her marriage and her professional life to be sort of dictated by her husband or her husband to take priority in those regards. And you could argue that that is probably a good example to be setting to the world and that, you know, it's high time that the focus has shifted away from what a man's career is in terms of a husband and wife. I'm not denying that. But at the same time, in a world where it doesn't seem like either one of them really needs to give up on their dreams, I don't see necessarily why Tom Brady absolutely has to give up on his. But I can appreciate that his living with him during a football season must be incredibly difficult. You know, in terms of he's almost never there, his the need for him to focus and do everything like she's probably getting to she and her children, their children, are probably getting to interact with him. 30 minutes a day you know like it's so i i can understand her hey, feeling like, here's a question how much time do you want to interact with tom brady on a daily basis if he were my dad <laughs> quite a lot even if you were your dad <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I so i do get that but and her argument would be we have all the money we ever need to have you've won everything you need to win you can go and do other things like but yeah i mean i, I guess that's the thing too I will kind of side on that aspect a little bit. It's not as if once he retires, then for the rest of his life, he's the one who's just going to be at home all day, hanging out, being the family man, because he's just going to get a new job that's going to require him to travel 70% as much and be away 70% as much as he is now doing like a commentary job or something well, like that. Not nowadays though, right? Like not if you do the Tony Romo approach. Like Tony Rome, because in the old days, they used to fly in like the day or two before the game and meet the teams and like attend a pra like a training session to kind of see things. Romo doesn't do any of that nonsense. 
he just comes in on the day of a game, <laughs> leaves the night of a game. Like Mike drops and leaves. He's obviously <laughs> watching, you know, game tape to prepare and having meetings and yeah. stuff. Like I'm, I'm not doubting it's a pretty much a full time job in terms of preparing for each weekend's broadcast. Like it, people think you're just turning up and talking, but a lot more is going into it than that. But same way people think that we just switch this on and talk, but they don't see the hours and hours of preparation that goes into each and every episode. Do you know how but, much football I have to watch on a weekend basis? <laughs> I don't even like the sport. I don't like sports. <laughs> if only we could successfully pivot this into a food podcast. <laughs> we've been desperately trying. Um so yeah, I get it, but I guess my argument with Brady would be he comes across like the type of person who would be obsessive and overly dedicated to whatever he does take on next. So that's where I do yeah. agree with you. Like whatever he whatever combination of things he does after he retires, I don't think he's suddenly going to be like just a stay-at-home dad with 6 yeah. hours a day like kids come home from school and he's just there to do yeah. homework or even like a 9 to 5 dad who's still no. there every day making dinner. Six days a week. No, just doesn't. He's, I think he just, in order for him to be happy, he has to be, you know, really obsessed with doing something. So you know that I love power rankings and I know that you love power rankings. Yeah, the so stupidest me, things in the world. Let me give you ESPN's top 10 power rankings right now. I, I, I kind of glimpse, glimpse these. And while I just want you pick out the two teams that you think are the most improperly placed, whether it's Can too low, you? too high. I, I glimpsed one. No, of let me so read we... it for the reviewers. Okay. Let me okay. read it for the reviewers. The first. reviewers are people reviewing us now. Yes. Oh God. This is we're this we're submitting this for our, uh, the award season. This is our well, got... podcast episode for award season. Okay. Okay, number ten. Going from 10 to 1, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 9, New York Jets, 8, Los Angeles Chargers, 7, Baltimore Ravens, 6, Dallas Cowboys, 5, New York Giants, 4, Minnesota Vikings, 3, Kansas City Chiefs, 2, Philadelphia Eagles, number 1, Buffalo Bills. So I have a What do you have issues with? I have a real issue with three of those, and I think you can probably predict which three they are. So I have a real issue with both of the New York, well, the Giants and the Jets. I just, this is to me the issue a little bit with power rankings. Is it so, it's, and I guess this is where I, again, it's a little bit like the MVP discussion. You need to tell me what you're doing with your power rankings. Are you trying to predict who the, tell me who the truly best teams in the league are? Or are you saying like, as of today, based on the body of work over the course of this season, these are like the best performing teams. Is it predictive or is it, re- you know, reactive? If it's predictive, those I are I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, because they're going to try and, you know, you're going to be, they're trying to be someone to everyone and they're being nothing to anyone. But Okay, so, you, all right, so let's do your first one. You're arguing the New York Giants at number five. Below yeah. you have the Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, Jets, Bucks. Who deserves to be ahead of the Giants? Uh, pretty much all those teams. <laughs> I would say the Cowboys because the Cowboys did beat the Giants. Yeah. A very the, close game, but they beat them. But I mean, again, 
Ravens. The Giants beat the Ravens. Yeah, but oh, so the the Steelers beat the Bucks. Should the Steelers be ahead of the Bucks? No, because the Steelers also have four losses. No, but I mean, why do you pick? How do you get to pick and choose the head to head when that really matters when it doesn't matter? Well, you know I think I mean? it like, matters when both teams have a substantially good record, and then you have no, because something else to compare. But then, what are you comparing them to? The the uh, Eddie the Eddie bar. If it's my power rankings, then I would be looking at anything like I'm going to rank these teams in order of who I think the best teams are. Okay. And so that's going to take into account a little bit what they've done this season, but also, you know, where I think they will be over the course of the season. I want my power rankings in week seven, six, seven to be a little bit reflective of who I think will be in the playoffs challenging for the Super Bowl. But then how are you making that prediction of how, if they're good or not? I look at their team. I go, oh, do I think they have a chance of winning so, the Super Bowl? If, if, I don't, if I don't think you have a chance of winning the Super Bowl, you're not in the top six in my power rankings. That to me is idiotic. So do is anyone really telling me the New York Giants have a chance of winning the Super Bowl, like a realistic chance? And if you're saying no, there's no way they should be in the top five in your power rankings. Yes, but I think at some point you have to look at how the team is actually performing on the field. No. Like you, I, I'll give you a good example. The Chargers have a stacked team right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone going into the season said the Chargers could be a Super Bowl winner, a potential Super Bowl winner. They look pretty shitty on the field. They've had a lot so of injuries. At, at what point, though, do you say, at what point do you say, okay, the roster's really good, but they don't play well, and therefore they're not competitive? Oh, how about the Bengals? Bengals are another decent example. Bengals have a good roster on paper, coming off a Super Bowl, coming off a deep run into the playoffs, and they do not look very good right now. No, you know what I mean, I, like, wouldn't, like, I wouldn't have the I, Bengals I, in the top ten. I wouldn't have the Bengals in the top ten of my power rankings. I didn't love the Bengals last year. I didn't like the Bengals in the playoffs. I didn't like the Bengals in the Super Bowl. So my consistency <laughs> on the Bengals, it's been there. I might have been wrong on them last year, but I'm, I can't be wrong with them both years. So you know, is like, this I, just you being super sour that the Niners are not in the top ten? <laughs> no, after the last week, I don't think the Niners can be in the top 10. That's I would have taken them out as a result of how that was, you know, that's a couple of bad performances from them. And it goes back to there. There's just so many question marks over their offense. And in particular, I mean, we don't have to talk about that Niners game in any level of detail. It was just a bad performance. But the fact that they were down 16 and put together an eight minute drive in the fourth quarter, that just very slowly march them down this like to have the ball not be turning it over but in the process be killing any chances you have of winning is spectacularly bad so you know those are the issues like they are a very good team at the moment as they are currently playing they're a great play from ahead team because their defense is so good and they'll just squeeze the life out of the game with their running game but they're not a good come from behind team and that's kind of always been a little bit of an issue with Garoppolo and that I, I wouldn't put them in the top 10. But for example, what I would say this, if the Giants are fifth in your power rankings, they're 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Go bet on it. Great him. value. Go bet on it. Who else have you got? The Jets. The Jets are 80 to one to win the Super Bowl. Mm, don't know about that value there. You know what I mean? Like these are, and I'm not saying that the power rankings should be like, completely in step with what the odds are. But I do actually think there should be some association between what the betting odds are and what the power rankings are. 
Like to me, there's a lot of overlap there in terms of sort of what they're trying to assess. There's factors that can't be accounted for, like the way money gets bet, you know, like too much money is going to be bet on the Packers or the Patriots just because they are, or the Cowboys because they're really popular teams and people bet on them. So that affects the odds. So there's, there's, you know, other factors at play, but if you're seeing a team in the top 10 who are, you know, the Giants are like 20th in the betting, something's wrong there. How about this one? Are you more convinced that the Eagles can be a Super Bowl reaching team? I mean, they were really good in the first half of that game in Sunday Night Football. Like that was that was a, a kind of statement first half where you're like, oh, they might be the real deal because the Cowboys have a really good defense and like a pretty decent offense. I'm still not sold on their offensive prowess, but it was, you know, that when they were up by 17 points, it looked like a really complete performance on every side of the ball. And I was impressed. And then they had that second half performance and a little lackluster. <laughs> yeah. And again, you, you, I think the issue with this season, right, is you can kind of pick holes in pretty much every team. So I, can, I shouldn't be any harsher on the Eagles than I am on, say, the Bills or the Chiefs. But So yeah. then, then I'll follow up the Eagles with this question. Are they right now the favorite to win the NFC? In your mind? In the Eddie barometer, no. Who who are you ranking still? What would be your ranking right now? The Bucks. The Bucks. Yeah. The team that can't score a touchdown to save their lives anymore. I think their defense is really good, and I think they'll. F- I think they'll solve the offensive problems by January. And there's a little bit right of just. I know kind of what I'm getting with them. Like I know that Tom Brady can make it to. Super Bowl you know what I mean like there's this is the Eagles trying to do it for the first time so I think it's natural to have a little bit more skepticism being applied to them because they're gonna have to pass a lot of tests between now and the Super Bowl they're gonna have to win playoff games they're gonna have to win an NFC championship game you know there's gonna be a lot of moments when the light you know the spotlight's gonna be a little bit brighter and how much do they stand up to that test how much does Jalen Hurts stand up to that test you know you can't say well, he was super impressive in week three against Team X. So, of course, he'll be able to replicate that in the biggest game of his life in January. You know, who knows? So, unfortunately, when you're trying to do it for the first time, I think it's normal to just be, to have a, a little bit more doubt. Is it Bucks, Eagles, Vikings or Bucks, Eagles, Niners then? Hmm. I really I'm kind of with you. I, I, I will never trust the Minnesota Vikings and at least the Niners. I know what I'm getting. I'm getting an offense that will try and establish the run and not rely on Jimmy G as much as possible, but a very stout defense. That's going to be super aggressive with the Vikings. You might get a 600 yard passing day for Kirk Cousins. You might get a six interception day from Kirk Cousins. I can't trust that. (laughs) And, And there's also right, which is, the other issue with like power rankings and predictions and re- reacting too much to what happens in the regular season, football changes when you get to the playoffs. And the style of game and play that can be really successful in the regular season doesn't always translate to being really successful in the postseason. And so not with my Niners Nation hat on, although it is literally on right now, but with uh, <laughs> just from 
an objective standpoint, you know the way the Niners play is suited to a playoff game, to having a good defense, to running the, you know, like having slow, meticulous drives, taking, you know, just like taking the game away from their opposition. We've seen it for multiple seasons now. It converts well. Same with the Bucks. We've seen when they've made the playoffs, for the most part, their defense, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, it was the kind of their defense that was winning that, right? It wasn't really their offense that was doing the the heavy lifting there. And so I'm just a bit more, the Eagles feel a little bit to me, they feel a little bit gimmicky in their offense, at least so far. Kind of feel to me like a sort of like a Ravens, where it's like, that. Yeah, this is great in the regular season. But we know what happens in the postseason. Like, might not be in the first round, but in the second round or in the NFC Championship game, you're going to come up against a team who shuts down the way you run your offense and you don't have a way of beating them otherwise. That would be my concern. Yeah, so we're pretty much six games in. And just to kind of – I know it's tough because in six games you might have had an easy schedule or hard schedule, so it's a little tough to judge. But you have the Bucks who are 20th in points for, but fifth in the league in points against. So defense is good. Offense needs to figure it out. I'm kind of on the same page with you, I think. They will figure it out. I, I don't think Brady is all of a sudden just going to crumble. And they'll, and if they need and, to, And right, they're injured. They're they have sign, some injuries. Yeah, they're gonna, they, have, they have injuries in key positions. They're going to sign someone too, right? We've seen yeah. that every season. Whoever it's going to be. I don't know. Is it going to be OBJ? Is going to be suddenly there with the Bucks in, in the playoffs, maybe? Or yeah. Gronk comes out of, you know, unretires again? Or Edelman unretires, like... The version of them that we see on offense in the playoffs is not going to be the same that we see right now. And then you go to the Niners. I think a similar story. Defense ranked second points against. Offense ranked 19th in points for. That's one where I would side with you. I think the Bucs are a better contender compared to the Niners because I don't know for sure the Niners are going to seal up that offense. No, they probably I don't won't. know how, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe you just really establish the run and rely on it like they were towards the end of last season and in, into the playoffs where you kind of just hope for that. But I don't I don't know. The only positives is if you're trying to be super positive, you would say Garoppolo, as much as he knows this team, wasn't working out with them up until the Trey Lance injury. So maybe it's going to take him a little bit of time just to properly, you know, it might take him six, seven weeks to really feel like he's back in rhythm because he was just throwing the ball to who who knows who up until that point. He wasn't taking any snaps in, in training. So there's that element. Kittle was out for a bit of the season, and you know how important Kittle is both as a receiver and also as a blocker in the schemes that they have. So both from, you know, from the, for the, both the pass game and the run game, he's pretty important. And having him back, and getting back into full up to full speed is important. And then you might argue on the back of the contract negotiations that maybe they aren't using Devo Samuel in quite the same way that they were in seasons past, but that in a playoff game. Maybe that's game, not yet. Maybe it's one yes. of those things, just holding yeah. them back. You yes. know? So maybe I can I little, can honestly see that. <laughs> it's 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 like you've told him and his agent, like, no, we're not gonna run you into the ground in week seven. But in yeah. January, in a playoff game, you might carry the ball 20 times. 
Like that might just be what we need. And he might've signed off on that because he would say, I'm worried about the long-term wear and tear. And that's not probably not going to come from a playoff game. So there's, those are the, th- the reasons to be optimistic, but I do agree with you. There's no real reason to be confident that those problems will get solved. And then you go to those other two and you have the Vikings 14th in points for and 21st in points against. So just middle of the pack in both, you know, and, and that's the thing, right? They're five and one, but when you really think about it, they don't look great on either side of the ball. And their only loss is to an Eagles team that pounded them. I mean, that was what, 24 to seven loss. I mean, that wasn't close that game. Yeah. And, and even you don't really know which version of them is going to turn up. They've had a couple of lucky wins. You know, their win in London was lucky. Uh, they nearly blew it. What was that to the Jets a week ago where they, you know, like they've had, they don't have complete games. You're talking about the they, Bears. The Bears. Yeah. When they had the, when they had the kind of 17 point comeback, um, you know, so the, they, as they kind of, I, I've been less impressed with them this season, even though their record is better than I've been with them in previous seasons. Cause I always felt like in previous seasons, their defense was super good. And you kind of yeah. knew you were getting a really good defense and their offense had the potential for being explosive, but wasn't consistent. And now I just feel like their defense can get kind of good, but it's not consistent. Their offense can still be explosive, but it's not consistent. So I feel less confident about them. Yeah. And then lastly, you have the undefeated Eagles fourth in scoring and sixth in defense. So pretty good. But then again, you look at their schedule and they've played one team or two teams above 500, the Vikings who they beat and the Cowboys who they beat, but you know, haven't had the toughest schedule. So maybe that's slightly inflated, but I, I I am more confident in the Eagles than I am in the Vikings. I think at what, at what point do you think the conversation starts to happen about whether or not the Eagles can go undefeated? Well, because you look at their schedule, they play the the next four. We we just did this, I think two weeks ago, but Steelers, Texans, commanders, Colts, that puts them at 10 and oh, I think. And, and And at that point you have to have that conversation. Because yeah. they also, they don't have any obvious, they don't have any clearly obvious losses on their schedule. Like they don't have the Bills or the Chiefs or, you know, someone like that where you would be like, I expect them to lose this. They are all very much winnable games. Yeah. In you an NFL even... that's unpredictable, it's tough to say easy and hard games. But I will say yeah. there are three potential losses left are probably Packers, Titans, Saints, Cow- and maybe Cowboys. the Giants in one of the two, maybe well, Cowboys. the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, Cowboys they, with Dak back, you have to assume. Yeah. is. I mean, the one thing I guess you could say is they, they there is a chance that they're favorites for all of their remaining games yep. from, a, yeah. from a betting perspective. And I guess going to the AFC, I think the only real talking point is Chiefs-Bills. And, you know, that kind of went how we both discussed, you know, how we thought it would go. And I think we talked about, what team could benefit from that win more and how. And I think the Bills definitely, I mean, I know they won the, the game, so they come out the victors, but I think from more of a, a, a moral and mental standpoint, I think they come out the winners because they gave the ball back to the Chiefs with time left. And, the, you know, the Chiefs are the Chiefs and they're always going to drive down the field. And they didn't. They shut them down. They stopped them. They intercepted Mahomes. And, you know, they put an end to it. And I think that's got to feel good for them to know to be in that situation because it's going to happen if they meet again 
more than likely they'll be in a similar situation where the Chiefs have the ball with a chance to win and knowing that they've stopped them once, that they can do it again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it even has to be as highly specific as that. I think it's a question of them winning a close game against a good team. And they don't have that in Josh Allen's time with the Bills. They just don't have a lot of those wins on their resume. And so I think they can take confidence from that and know if they're in a close game in the playoffs that they have the ability to push through that. And I think that is, it remains a little bit of a question mark with them because they still weren't super convincing in that fourth quarter. They could have done that a little bit more easily than maybe they did. Uh, but it's still, you know, and, and, and I think if you're the Chiefs, it's disappointing, but they probably don't, they're not going to read too much into that. They'll feel as if it was a close game, almost a coin flip in terms of which team won it. Had a couple of things gone differently, they win that game and they know how good they can be. So I don't think they're ever going to doubt themselves in a playoff scenario, right? So, yeah, I think it was much more important to the if the Chiefs had won that in either with a game-ending drive or if the Bills hadn't been able to get the touchdown to retake the lead at the in the fourth quarter, I think if you're a Bills fan or a Bills player, you may be starting to think, oh, we've not got this in us when it's a really tight situation. Like there's just not that kind of clutch aspect to this to us. But they they at least removed some of those doubts for now. Oh, oh, last question for me: Is Josh Allen the best QB in the NFL? Is this the year the tide has finally turned? Um, I think he'll win the MVP. I mean, I think at this point, actually, the only person who might be able to beat him to the MVP is is Jalen Hurts. You know what I mean? Like if the Eagles yeah. go undefeated, you have to assume Jalen Hurts wins the MVP. Like it would be crazy if they're undefeated and he doesn't win it. So I think he is the most likely, he's the person best positioned to take it away. But I, th- I think Josh Allen will win. I don't know if he's the, I mean, question is like, if you're asking me, do I think he's the best? It's like, if I had to put my life on one quarterback, like down six to drive down the field, who, who am I choosing? I think it's still Mahomes. So, you know, he's in the discussion and there's other quarterbacks in that discussion too. Like you could still argue maybe. It's so let me, let me slightly adapt that scenario. Not just one final drive, but one complete game. Because I think that is kind of the knock on Mahomes, right? Is he can always step up and rise to the occasion, but he'll have just sometimes in a game where he makes two or three bad throws a lot of times they he get lucky they don't get picked, but sometimes I mean that interception at the end of the game was just a dumb throw he made. You know he shouldn't have made that throw, and so I think from a whole game standpoint, you're in the Super Bowl. Who do you want as your QB? I still think Mahomes. It kind of goes back to the discussion okay. about the Eagles. He's won a Super Bowl. You know I think that's important. I've not seen Josh Allen play in a Super Bowl, so I don't know how he will stand up to that kind of pressure. And as far as the other difficult thing, I think the Bills are better than the Chiefs. So in this, which is probably the first time saying that as a, comp- as a complete team, that they are better than the Chiefs. And so he has the easier situation. You know, like the Chiefs defense is definitely a lot worse than the Bills defense. So Mahomes had to try and succeed against one of the best defenses in the league on Sunday. Whereas I think Josh Allen was up against a mediocre NFL defense. You know, so he was kind of, I think Mahomes was legitimately playing the Bills defense and Josh Allen was playing 
Mahomes. If you see what I said, if if you see what I mean. Yeah. Brady and Rogers though, out of the discussion. I mean, Rogers. Yes. Right now. Yes. He's out of the discussion because this is too, too bad of a start to the season for him. I don't think you can ever take Brady out of the discussion. <laughs> I just don't think you can. You know what I mean? Like, how could you possibly take him out of the discussion? He Every time you take him out of any discussion, he proves you wrong. <laughs> he puts himself back in that discussion. He does, though. I don't. You know, like, we could I be don't. saying all of this, and come the end of the season, the, the Bucks have won a Super Bowl. Like, it's not impossible. And then you go, oh, isn't that crazy? Tom Brady's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I I will never. I probably Tom Brady could be seventy five years old, and I'm probably still considering him as a possibility. It's like the Michael Jordan element. They're still part of me. I know Michael Jordan's you know sixty or whatever he is now, and probably can't dunk anymore, and his knees are shot, and he's you know lost fifteen steps in terms of speed and. But still, gun to my head, I've got to pick a guy, you know, to make a game-winning shot or win a game of one-on-one, and I still might like Jordan's in the discussion because it's just the mentality, <laughs> and you know that there's that you can't underestimate that element. What a disrespect to Jordan, sixty years old. He's fifty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> he would probably be upset by that. I'm sure he would. <laughs> If he ever hears this, he's probably putting me on some shit list of guys he has to prove wrong. Speaking of aging athletes, and to make a big transition from the world of professional sports, the world of sports in which I operate at the moment. Uh, This was the final week of the Paris fast pitch softball league. I was like, where the hell is this going? Uh, fast pitch is a little uh, fast pitch by 80 year old men no 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 no. i will tell you since you played in the league some of the teams have significantly improved are way more professional i'll say like in terms of how much they train and they're playing year-round for starters now they all have really nice uniforms you know like when we used to play against the (laughs) To explain this league to people, it was originally started in the 50s as an all-Japanese league. 1850s. (laughs) When there were were a lot of Japanese teams in, Japanese businessmen, basically, in the Paris area. So I think originally it was comprised of 36 teams of only Japanese players. And then as there began to be fewer and fewer Japanese people in Paris, they started to open it up to other nationalities and ethnicities. And then it kind of transformed into this weird international league where teams are sort of defined by your nationality. So there is an American team. There are still three Japanese teams. There's a Filipino team. There's two Dominican teams, a Venezuelan team. You know, there's a whole mixture of teams. Um, The Dominican team this year had a lot of very good players. The Venezuelan team this year, this is no joke, had two former minor league MLP players. (laughs) (laughs) And to say, and when I say former, they were in their 20s. These are guys, they had been minor league pitchers from Venezuela who had had been drafted into the majors and played in the minor leagues for a couple seasons, hadn't worked out, and now they're in Paris doing stuff. And And now they've been recruited to play in the Paris Fast Pitch Softball International League. (laughs) 
the Dominicans and the Venezuelans. Poor guys. <laughs> who made the final. We, we were in the third and fourth place uh, game on the final, kind of like finals day. The final was after us. Uh, the final was legitimately, I mean, there were some good players playing. Like there was a lot of talent on display in the Venezuelans against the Dominicans. Got very heated. The way the league also works is that, I mean, there were about, I don't know, a hundred Dominicans showed up to watch this game. They have a generator going. They're blasting uh, Dominican music. They were had a generator. That's great. <laughs> they were. They They've got power. <laughs> <laughs> Venezuelans had, uh, I don't know, 50 or 60 people in attendance. They also had their own speaker system, but it wasn't as loud as the Dominicans. So there was just like rival. No music. generator. No generator. They were just running just, on batteries, running on yeah. D batteries. What an amateur move. <laughs> Why do you bring D batteries to a generator party? <laughs> yeah. But the way the league works is that uh, some representatives of the non-playing teams umpire the other games. So I was the home plate umpire for the final. And uh, it was to be expected that in a, in a game between the Venezuelans and the Dominicans that things got a little bit heated. You know, about the third pitch, things started getting a little bit heated. And uh, in a never-before-seen set of circumstances, the home plate, home plate umpire was replaced in the fourth inning. <laughs> Why was he replaced? Um, I think I was, uh, you know, the kind of the, the Japanese guys who run the league who don't really understand everything's going on in Spanish and English, so they don't understand anything that's going on in terms of the arguments. Uh, I think they presumed that some of the, there was a, a full-on physical fight that broke out at one moment between two players uh, that had to be, it required about 30 people from each team to pull off these two huge guys. It was not a pretty sight. Um, I think it was in, I think they thought that was because of one of my calls. It was just because they'd been insulting each other all game. Like they weren't that heated over whether or not a guy was, you know, correctly called out on a tag <laughs> at home plate. So I was asked to no longer umpire and was replaced. <laughs> Which oh, man. then That's led great. to, because the Dominicans and the Venezuelans complain about everything, then both teams complained about the fact that I had been removed as the umpire, which I loved because they'd been, they'd been complaining about my umpiring and now we're both upset that I was no longer umpiring. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, there, there are some legitimately really good players playing on their teams at times. And it does make you wonder. I mean, they're guys, so, hey, some of them are just huge in the way that, you know, like baseball players are just big, big guys. forearms. Yeah. And just big people. You know, you got like guys striding up to the plate who are six, six, just, you know, massive hulks of men and hitting a softball miles. Yeah. <laughs> <But, laughs> Well, unfortunately, we don't play our intramural softball until the spring, but we are starting up our kickball team for our uh, graduate program, a sport that I don't know if you call it a sport, a, a game that I am awful at. I've, uh, I don't understand the sport of kickball because like, I don't understand how it's hard. I think from a, like, if you've grown up play, kicking a ball, like I think part of what makes kickball kind of work in America is that a lot of people... Don't. I mean, that's yeah. That's why I'm not good at it. I can't. Yeah. I can't like boot the ball far, or I can't like place it where I want over someone's head. You know. But I don't. From, the, from a field perspective, I'm fine. Like I can catch yes. a ball really well. I can throw a kickball really well. Still, like that translates. 
but yeah, I don't understand whenever I, I haven't played kickball since I was a kid, like at, at school in the US, when I see videos of playing, people playing kickball as an adult, like I don't understand how I would, and I don't mean this, this isn't, I really don't mean this is some huge overstatement. I don't understand how I'd ever get out, like how I couldn't just kick a single every time. You know what I mean? Like I just, yeah. it, it's it's difficult for me for those unfamiliar with what kickball is because a lot of our non-American it's softball, but you roll the ball onto or, or the baseball. ground. Baseball is a better comparison because people okay. might not even know what softball is. But it's well, like, just it's coming baseball. off of softball, I know. But <laughs> just already, I know. But already, some people will probably listen to that and be like, I don't know what softball is, and softball is just baseball on a smaller field with a with bigger, bigger ball, ball and pitched underarm for those. And kickball is then that with an even bigger rubber ball that you roll towards roll. a home plate and the person has to kick it. But aside from that, pretty much identical rules. And yeah, I don't understand how you can't just be like, yeah, I'll get a single. I'm not going to say I'm going to smash a home run every time, <laughs> but I think you could just be like, Oh, I just kicked the ball into that gap right there. No problem. Well, the last time we played it as a team, uh, every student just ended up popping the ball up. <laughs> So we had a no no ball and air rule where every ball had to be kicked on the ground until we were good enough to to advance to kicking the ball with some sort of loft again. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> that's how bad our team was. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah, it was not a good team. You'd well, think you think for bring... a group of physiology students, they'd have some physiology-ness so, to them, but not really. Well, if you want to draft me in, what, what months does this league run for? Uh, it's for next few months. Okay. Well, who knows if I can make it to Arizona, am I eligible I'll, to play? Uh, I'll make you a fake student ID. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the scandal that could break out when I hit the game, this, the championship winning <laughs> kick, and then it all unravels as they realize I'm not a real student. <laughs> Your accent's going to give it away. That that will be the giveaway, not the. <laughs> I've never I've never seen it around here. <laughs> no, it's a big campus. There's like forty thousand people. All right. Well, I guess that. Pretty met. Anything else do you have from the the world of sport? Uh, not particularly. I mentioned this to you off podcast, but I'm very excited that we've opened up a British pub right off of campus. That just looking at their schedule, they're making a good effort to be open for Premier League and also to have it on, which yeah, is like okay. a two. But I mean, like, honestly, like if I went to any other bar that was like open for brunch, let's say, because most matches are going to be early, there is a very little likelihood that they're putting on a Premier League match. But they're not open for, say, the lunchtime kickoff. Like they're not opening at. Five no, in the morning. I mean, the lunchtime kick, I, I'm not even awake for the lunchtime Oh, no, I know, but I'm just saying, they're, they're not that dedicated. Oh, um, no, it looks like, I think they said uh, the next one. So there's three time slots, right? On a Saturday, yeah. Yeah, so they'll be open for the one that starts usually around like 7, 8 a.m. my time. The, the 3 o'clock kickoff on the yeah. English, like the main kickoff slot. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's still good pretty good, too. though. It's also good for you too, right? Because you got the world the World Cup coming up. So yeah, and they have yeah exactly, and they have full English breakfast with black pudding supposedly, which I have okay. yet to see in America. Yeah, it's not something Americans don't 
yeah. when they, once they I'm sure I'm sure we're gonna someone's gonna say, well, you haven't gone to this bar in New York City that has black pudding. Okay, yeah. well, whatever. But you know, like I'm sure there are bars that serve it. But the majority of times when you go to like a pub in quotations in in America, they'll have English breakfast, but it will not have black pudding on it. Yeah, and I guess you know you have which I enjoy. Purists would say it's not an like a required component of the English breakfast. But yeah, no, I do. I think when Americans, once they are told what black pudding is, oftentimes they lose their appetite for it. I had more of an appetite for it once I knew what it was. (laughs) Just just give me the pig's blood raw. (laughs) Well, hey, maybe that allows us to transition into a world in which I'm sure pig's blood was very popular because we could maybe discuss the latest developments in the House of the Dragon. Oh, yeah. Episode nine. So we haven't been saying spoiler alert, but maybe we should. If, you, if you're if you not caught up to episode nine of, yeah. of I mean, Hot we, D. It's, it's true, right? We do it at the very end of our episodes. And if you don't realize there's spoilers once we start yeah. going like doing a recap of what we thought about the episodes, then yes. Someone did say something to me, so I'll just make sure from now on okay. we say it. All right. Spoilers <laughs> upcoming. Yep. Up to episode nine. Not a tradition. So I know you never watched the original Game of Thrones, but not a traditional penultimate episode for a Game of Thrones because not much happened. And it was more of a setup episode, which is kind of the opposite of what they normally you really think. You really think not much happened? Well, I mean, Com- in terms compared, of like compared penultimate with the season episodes, so f- compared with the season so far. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I actually really enjoyed this episode. Um, but I mean, compared to Game of Thrones, the penultimates were always like a 40 minute battle scene or, you know, like action wise, it was the, the biggest episode. Um, and actually, we can get into what I think the weakest part of the episode was um, and why I thought it was and why the showrunners did what they did. But I mean, right off the bat, we got to be going with here's my question for you, Eddie. Does he just have a foot fetish? Or is oh. it because he's got a messed up foot that feet are just attracting to him? Yeah. So, <laughs> that was my biggest question when that scene <laughs> unfolded. Is it yes. because like he's got issues that that attracts him? Or is he just a guy with a foot fetish and he just happens to be crippled? Yeah. So once again, Game of Thrones not making p- disabled people, handicapped, whatever term you want to use not fully abled people uh not making them look great the show does try and make them all look like it's slight weirdos but uh, i i presumed my take on it because they focused in on his club foot first and then he masturbated with her feet out i took that as there was some kind of link between him not having a like two normal feet and then liking seeing like focusing in on that as a fetish but yeah it was a when did it click for you was it the instant she took her shoes off or was it until she took her socks off that you're like oh shit this is getting weird it's when the feet were you know was it was when she took the socks off full exposure yeah just taking the (laughs) shoes off i didn't actually read too much into that i thought thought it was just like relaxing yes she was able um, to like put her guard down is what I thought at first. I was like, oh, yeah. look, they've developed this relationship. She's put her exactly. guard down. That might be bad. And then it was like, oh, wait, no, it's bad for a whole other reason. <laughs> He's really putting his guard down. Yeah. He's putting or, his guard putting, up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's putting his guards at full attention. 
I guess multiple. <laughs> Who knows? Is that his other it's Game problem? of Thrones? Now, did you also notice? Now, that's an interesting question. Say if he has two dicks and a club foot, which one is he getting more known for? <laughs> Are you like that's club foot Gary over there, or you're like that's two foot Gary, two dick Gary, two dick well, Gary over there? Considering his his name in Game of Thrones is the club foot, I think exactly. we're gonna go with club foot. No, but if he had two dicks, he might have been double dick. <laughs> no, that's just there's two twins both named Richard, similar to the two twins that are named Eric and Arik. <laughs> also very confusing in that episode. But did you notice at the end of that scene, the beginning of the next scene is Aegon like sopping up some like white sauce on his plate with his bread. Did you notice that? No, that is I a didn't. classic Game of Thrones. They do that for like a lot of things where like someone's head will get chopped off and then the very next scene will be someone like pouring wine down their throat or something. Mm. They love to do that kind of stuff. No, I did not catch that. But Quite um, I guess my quick thoughts on the on the episode, again, the weird aging continues to be a slight issue for me. Uh, we just have to accept that at this point. I, I I enjoyed this episode a lot more than I... It was probably the episode I enjoyed the most out of the season so far, just because things actually happened. Uh, and there was kind of... You felt like all of this boring political setup finally became worthwhile. My biggest issue with the episode itself was their ability to have a coronation that was so well-coordinated in the space of, what was that, 12 hours? Let, I'm going to say it was the next day. Even so, impossible. Yeah. Everyone knew what they were doing. Like there were people, multiple people speaking, you know, people who wouldn't, you could maybe argue that, I don't know, some people in the background would have been preparing for that moment their whole lives, like with the way that, you know, they had all the ceremony down for when the queen died, but you had people who you wouldn't have expected to have been playing crucial roles, suddenly having to say things and knowing exactly what to say, whatever the, you know, the queen's, the king's guard, queen's guard guy, you know, um, he kind of plays a role in putting the crown on the king himself and then making some announcement. How did he know what to do? Never been. To, he's never true. been to a cor. He's never been to a coronation before. Wasn't alive when the previous one happened. You know, so Even before. like as the swords went down as they pass, yeah. A little, you know. Are we sure we've practiced this enough? And someone doesn't prematurely yeah. slice off a part of his back or something. Yeah. I also took some issue with that. They kind of moved out and started forming this corridor. There clearly weren't enough of them to form the line all the way through the crowd. Yep. But at one moment, you saw a complete line. But then when he gets to the front, the line is like moved. And what happens at that 90 degree angle? How does the oh, yeah. sword drop work there? Yeah. <laughs> that's a tricky nah. That's a tricky spot to be in. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I agree with you. I think this was probably the best episode. But I think to me, I think you're going to look back, not you personally, but people will look back and say, this is the real first episode of the show. Because this is the beginning of the Dance of the Dragons. The king is dead, and now the Civil War is going to begin. And the previous eight episodes were all just trying to build on some characters to make it more meaningful 
as the seasons progress. And the question I think is going to happen, you know, maybe once we're into the second season, were those first eight episodes, did they pay off? No. Because I feel like so much time was dedicated to people who then aren't meaningful now. Yeah. Like like the king. Yeah. We didn't need to know the king as much as we did. We didn't need to kind of process his dilemma that could have been done in almost a single episode. We didn't need to know um, the gay prince that much. I mean, maybe he comes back into it at some point. Who knows? But like, I felt, I feel like a little bit too much time was probably dedicated to him and that whole household for the most part, like they're just dying off and we had time that we spent sort of getting to know them. We don't really know the kids to any great degree. We've just seen glimpses of their different personalities. Like we know the one guy is just a debaucherous drunk. We know one of them is a, has one eye and fights really well. You know, like we don't, we don't know too much. And about is well them. read. Yes. And loves <laughs> and, has, and has BDE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the only other bit I didn't really get. Why they're both looking for the brother. Well, I assumed that they were going to kill. They like, they wanted to kill him, which seemed to be. Oh no. Him. Who, who, I don't think either of them wanted. Who he wanted who, to be the the other brother and the queen. No, because they're the guy. ones that get him at the end. They don't yes, kill him. But, but why did they want him? So it's a little weird too, but I think the main thing is the Alicent, the queen, wants to get her son so that she has the upper hand against her father in deciding what, like, what will happen when he becomes king? I, I don't. I don't I, think that, any of that happens. I, I think no, that's no. kind of dumb because as soon as she hands it off to for him to be king, like it doesn't matter anymore. No, no. Okay, that bit makes sense to me, and that that makes sense to me. Then why, whatever his name is, her guard is loyal to her and wants to go and get him. Why for does the other call. son care? You know, like I don't. I, he, I don't think he does necessarily because you then saw over the course while they're looking for him, they have this discussion about the fact he should be king. He is more entitled to it. I watched that thinking, that, and they seem to come to some agreement about that fact as it happened. And I then took it for when they are trying to take him away, that their goal was, if he can just be dead, I become king. Like, we'll just remove him. And I know that didn't, like, I know everyone knows that that doesn't happen because obviously this is, there's, this is a fake history history or whatever you like to call it. And some of it was discussed within Game of Thrones itself, right? So there's elements here that we know have to transpire. But I that's what I presumed their intention was when they were looking for him. Then they get him. He's kind of threatening to his brother when he first grabs him. And then it's just, no, we're just going to take him now. And you other guards run off. Yeah. I, I don't think he was ever going to kill him. Because then the other thing too is he doesn't have he still doesn't even have a claim to the throne, because Aegon has kids with the sister, so they would have the claim to the throne after if he killed Aegon. Yeah, but I mean, we've, we've the whole point of this, right, is that people are yeah. trying to take advantage of complicated. I don't claims want to spoil to anything. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I thought that part was kind of weird. I think it was just to kind of do like a little like like a little buddy cop detective hunt down for two different groups of people. Um, I think the Eric and Eric thing is so stupid. Like I get that's what happened in the book, but just because George R. R. Martin does annoying things to be a prick in the book, doesn't mean you can't change them and make them easier. Why can't it just be Eric and Steve? 
Why does it have to be Eric and Arik and have them look identical? <laughs> like, I guess they don't make it make it kind of. What's the difference? Just make it easy for people. Yeah, because you don't have that issue in a book. Yeah, when you're reading it, it's a lot easier to figure out when one yes. letter's an A and one's an E. <laughs> so the only part of the episode I didn't like was the ending. And I don't like the fact that she busts through the dragon pit and has a chance to end everything and doesn't. And I don't like it. I don't like it for the fact that I don't like in shows three seasons from now, we can go, had she just burned them all in the beginning, she yeah. wouldn't have lost her granddaughters and these people and that people. Cause that's obviously what's going to happen. Yes. And what's really annoying is when the original Game of Thrones went off script is when it sucked. And you're already seeing now that was not anything that ever happened in the books. And they purposely put that in there because what they said was historically Game of Thrones had these great penultimate episodes. So we needed something big and grand to happen in this episode. And we thought what's bigger than a dragon busting out of a pit and like, going wild inside a dome basically and i think that's so dumb to just put that in there for like an effect yeah and you could have built it some i mean just her getting away with the dragon right would have been yeah i'm okay with like you could have ended the episode without any of that and i still think that's the best episode of the season yeah 100 percent. i would agree with that also i mean how the dragon just burst through i mean these this these dragons this you know, like their strength is incredible at times. I don't know how much that was a lot of solid rock and concrete, you know, stone that they had to burst through to get yep. up in there. And then was concerned about making it through the gap of the door. It could have just flown out anyway. <laughs> you know, why did it have to make it through the closing door all of a sudden? <laughs> but, uh, and so looked true. really, the CGI looked really bad when it went through the gap in the door. That was not well done. And overall, I'm not going to be, not gonna be, the CGI continues to disappoint me. And another time where it looks really bad is when it like, when they kind of have the, just a, like the camera just go over the top of the city, which happens quite a bit and it just doesn't look very good. And again, yeah. comparing it to what we're seeing in the Rings of Power. Um, but yeah. I CGI do. of the, of the dragon screaming at them though is pretty cool. That was pretty That good. was pretty well done. Yes. That was pretty good. But then they benefit, right? That's a lot of darkness. Darkness is kind to CGI because you yeah. don't get to pick out things as much. Um, yeah, I, that's the bit that just doesn't make sense. Like, it's hard to understand, like, what's her motivation for not killing them? Because it doesn't help her protect her family. You could have argued that if she'd killed them, she might have even been able to have a claim to the throne. Yeah, You know, like, there's a lot of reasons why she would want to kill them. She has a more of an emotional t- attachment in many regards to everyone else who wasn't there. And so it's just strange that she would do all of that and then just kind of say, I could have killed you, but I'm not going to. So in the inside the episode, which I also don't like that they have these, that they have a chance to explain what happened. If you're not doing a good enough job as a director to have people understand, I don't think you should get the chance to then go and explain it. It's a little kind of like, you know, not, not, not fair, but it doesn't show well upon you. Um, but their reason, this is great. Their reason was because she's of high morality 
and she didn't want to kill a mother who a fellow mother who was protecting her son in that moment when she stepped in front of her son. But yet she's okay with killing thousands of commoners as she busts through and then has the dragon just whip the tail around yeah, just and random just people. send people like hundreds of feet to their yeah. death. Uh, she killed at least 3,000 people. Yeah. Oh, at least. Many of whom would have been mothers. But I also, the other bit I didn't get to, the hand just screaming for the doors to be closed. What was that going to help them with? He was saying to open them. Oh, open them. What was that even going to help them with? To get, I guess, to get the dragon out. He thought they were going to get stuck inside with the dragon, I guess. I don't know. I mean, but we just saw it burst through the floor. If <laughs> yeah. the dragon wants to get out, the dragon's getting out. Like, And if the dragon wants to kill you, the dragon's gonna killing kill you. you. Like, yeah. there's no, you were completely at the mercy of the dragon at that point. Yeah. And I mean, good on that dragon for having the ability to scream at the top of its lungs for 45 seconds and not let even like an oopsie flame pop out. How does she, how does she give that, <laughs> how did she give that command to like, I'd like to know how sophisticated their interactions are with the dragon. Like, cause she, she's not talking to him, right? There's no way he could hear anything that's going on from her. No, they do. No, no, no. But in that instance, thousands of oh, people screaming, oh, oh. how she's not giving an oral command to the dragon. You know what I mean? Like that's not possible. So did she, Give him like the play by play before he bursts before, through the floor. Here's what like, we're gonna do. Yeah, because there's no way unless unless like through a complicated series of like it's like a horse and like rain pulls and heel clicks. He understands. Look like I'm gonna f- have Maybe. some fire fly out, but I'm not really. I can't imagine it's the it's the play by play before because if anyone who has a dog, you can tell your dog you're gonna go outside and do this this and that, and then you let it off the leash and the dog just like half a mile down the road. Like, I hate to break it to you, Frank. There are some dogs that you can do that too. Not 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 you don't go before you let them out and tell them what to do and then let them loose and expect that they're gonna remember what you told no, them. No, but through training, <laughs> there are dogs that can can do very specific things, right? And maybe she said, maybe they previously prepared for bursting through the floor of a church and then This is the scenario they've they've practiced thousands of yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. This is the non killing scenario. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very similar to the killing scenario. <laughs> Don't mess them up. Yeah. <laughs> so the last episode, I, I don't watch the like coming up episodes. Your prediction, is it all now the blacks side? Meaning the Targaryen side? Whereas this one was all just the greens. Is the next one all just how they respond now that they find out? Yeah, um, I guess there's the decision that's made in terms of whether or not they're going to try and kill, every, you know, from the king's perspective, is he going to try and kill everyone else? I think he'll be talked into trying to kill everyone else. Uh, and so I guess that's the how this episode unfolds. We get to find out about everyone else hearing that the king has died. And then I, I, I assume it's like immediate all out war. Yeah. Actually, I have one more question. What does Kristen Cole have to do to get prosecuted for a crime at this point? He, he's now beat up someone mercy, like uh, to, to no end in the middle of a wedding on the dance floor. He then has also now murdered someone in cold blood at a council meeting, which is the equivalent yeah. of like parliament, by so, smashing their head through a marble. 
so, so I read when after his first killing, I did read an article about this, and basically the king's guard can't be punished for anything. Like that's part of their. Th- you get sent to the wall if you break your his oath. Like his oath so. is to protect, but if like anything aside from that, any crime committed not in relation to that. He's fine. Like they have carte blanche to just chop people's heads off and kill each other. Like there is no, like the moment, for example, I guess in that scene where he could have gotten in trouble was when she told him to put his sword down. And that was basically, well, either if you don't put your sword down now, now you're breaking your oath and then you'd be in trouble. But up until that moment, he could do, and they can't have sex. That's his only, he's broken that one. Yeah. He already broke that with a 16 year old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, well, well, let's call her. Let's call her eighteen. I, know, I mean, <laughs> he's one of those guys, right? They've made him very good looking. I don't know if in the book he's supposed to be. I don't know, but like, yeah, great heel turn. Like first three episodes in, you're like, wow, what a nice guy. He's good yeah. looking. He's really character. nice to Rhaenyra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got her like, back in anything. <laughs> now it's like this is a really weird, creepy guy who becomes really obsessed with women in his life. Yeah. Like yeah. he just needs to attach himself to a woman and then we'll just do whatever she says. He's he's still got breakup issues <laughs> twenty years later. Yeah. I mean he is what probably people in the modern world would want to call a cuck. <laughs> I mean, is he the original cuck? <laughs> Christian Cuck Cole. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nearly done with our TV coverage because there's nothing really to replace it with. I know you're going to try and jokingly throw out the Mighty Ducks. It's not going to happen. Once no, this is... actually, I was going to say I watched two. Uh, oh, scary is the right word. But I watched uh, Prey, which is the Predator prequel, I guess you could say. I thought was really well done. Much better than a lot of the latest Predator movies that they kind of try and come out with that are really corny and not good uh i was pretty into this movie i thought it was good and then i also watched uh werewolf by night which is the marvel short film about like uh monster hunters and it's like kind of like an ode to like the 50s horror movies it's like all in black and white and it kind of has like the same theme and actually i thought was really good too if marvel did more of that i think marvel would be a lot more respected than like the She-Hulk crap it puts out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just out superheroed, right? Star Wars, I've been out Star Wars. I mean, I was out superheroed in about 2006. So like this is, you know, this is just way too much for me at this point. But I feel like they have very much drained the well dry on all of those things. And things that should be every two, three years. Wow, we've got another blockbuster superhero movie out is now new week, new show, new week, yeah. new movie. So... Well, Werewolf by yeah, Night I, isn't doesn't have superheroes in it. So, sorry, werewolves. It's got monsters, but oh, oh, I can take it then. Um, I did watch Dahmer. That was the only. What'd you think of that? I think it's a pretty good TV show. Um, I just, I almost feel bad watching it. Like, I, I, it does feel a bit weird to me to like watch content that's being made out of. A serial a terrible killer. person. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I know that he doesn't necessarily benefit from that in any way, but still, like, if it were one of my family members or someone who I had known that he'd killed, it would just be really difficult for me to suddenly have him back in the discussion in a way that you would have hoped 
probably would have never happened. You know, like you might have processed all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, the world of true crime podcasts and Netflix shows and documentaries, all and like, oh, everyone loves Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, you know, this Halloween, there's going to be people dressing like Jeffrey Dahmer everywhere. Yeah, and I'm actually just going to dress like Evan Peters. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it, it, it was a good show. But I mean, my only issue was it too. They... Once you then start, I didn't know a ton about Jeffrey Dahmer. I just knew he was a serial killer who ate some of the people like that was, you know, like that was kind of my knowledge of him. When you then start watching a show like that, you then start reading into the story a bit more. And then when you see the historical discrepancies between the show and what you're then reading, that really bothers me, which is a topic we've discussed before, right? Like that ruins the yeah. based on a true Either you story keep thing. it true or you don't just fictionalize it about a serial killer then. Yeah. You know, like just, and have it, loosely it could be like oh this is very similar to the jeffrey dahmers i would have probably been more comfortable with that overall but to like this is the jeffrey would you be more comfortable with said this show is inspired by jeffrey dahmer (laughs) (laughs) r.i.p thanks jeff (laughs) the most influential person in my life you're Um, my inspiration (laughs) yeah and give like an emmy speech we couldn't have done this without jeffrey um the JD, I love you. <laughs> yeah, and then just take a big bite out of like the Abbey statue. Um, I, yeah, I, I would have probably been more comfortable with that. But you then start to see like there's main characters in that show who are nothing like the people they're supposed. They're like real life uh, counterparts, and so, and I think most people won't do that extra little bit of research, so they'll walk away from that being like, Glenda Cleveland lived directly next door to jo- uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and smelled the... Bu-. And it was like, she didn't even live in the same building. <laughs> Argu- spoiler second- alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not really a spoiler. It's not in the TV show, but like, she doesn't <laughs> live in the same... She didn't live in the same building in real life, but in the TV show, she's his next door neighbor. Why? Like, apart from trying to make her a more compelling character, like, kind of trying to explain that a bit more, but it's just like a weird shift. But anyway. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll we'll end it. Yep. All right. How's it going? See you. Cheerio.